This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Tuesday afternoon, June 20th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. It's Travel Tuesday. We'll look at the top destinations for fans of great food in our next segment. But right now, the report on housing starts leaves today's data. We're joined by Bob Bruska, Chief Economist, Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New York. Bob, thank you for joining us today. And this uh, report on new housing starts blew analysts' expectations out of the water. Yeah, yeah nobody was looking for this. Um, I think that economists for some time have been looking at these housing data and recognizing that there seems to be some balance that's been restored after the disruption from interest rates moving up so sharply. And of course, mortgage rates have since been working their way slightly lower, although they're still a lot higher than they had been in the previous you know, three or five years or so. So this um, this burst of activity, it, it does come on the heels of a home builders index yesterday that showed some improvement as well, but it was largely unexpected. What does this mean about the health of the overall economy? Mortgage rates are higher. Uh, financing the construction of a home is that much more expensive because of higher interest rates. And yet people want to build homes and people want to buy them. Well, you know, it's a funny thing. People actually want to live in homes. Um, who'd have thunk it? Yeah, who'd have thunk it? Yeah, for a long time, uh, millennials were uh, not that interested in home buying, and the rental market was extremely hot. And more recently, there's been more focus on uh, home buying, family formation. The you know, COVID basically caused a lot of people to be cooped up in their homes. This caused people to think, hey, maybe I want to have a better home if I'm going to be cooped up inside of it. And I think it helped to shift demand toward housing, toward better housing. And then, of course, as firms allowed people to work remotely, the home became more important because if you're going to work out of your home, you want to have a, a much better place. And I live in New York City, and a lot of the apartments are small, and a lot of people in New York kind of view the city as their living room and spend a lot of time outside of it. Well, if you're suddenly forced to be in your apartment all the time, uh, all of a sudden you view your apartment differently. If you can't go outside, if regulations are keeping you from going out, if the stores are closed, it's a very different place. So I think COVID had a big role in, in pushing the housing market forward. With uh, new home uh, construction exceeding expectations, could this eventually uh, cause inflation to ease because uh, the rising cost of shelter is one of the elements that is driving inflation on a month-over-month basis? Right. Uh, what 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 affects this is a complicated question because what affects the CPI is this notion of uh, the rental cost of a home that you live in, and it's an imputed statistic, and it is related in some ways to what you paid for your house, but not exactly. So 
the fact that housing prices might be recovering and going up uh, isn't going to be a big factor. Uh, what really matters is really the tightness in the rental market and uh, the height of mortgage rates and, of course, the cost of living in a house because of energy and other costs and taxes. And so there's a whole host of factors that mix together. But I would say the recovery in the housing market is certainly good news. And I wouldn't worry about it so much as uh, being an inflation factor. What we mostly need to do is to find the right kind of spaces to build homes for people who want them and to try to build them at affordable prices. Bob Bruska, Chief Economist, Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, the best travel spots for foodies. It's Travel Tuesday, and one of the best parts of a trip, any trip, can be finding fantastic food. Let's get some suggestions from Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality, based in Chicago. Doug, thank you for joining us today. And uh, this segment is both informative and cruel at least from my perspective, because uh, I can't get a bite to eat during this show, and and some other people uh, might be inspired to do so as uh, you run down the list of uh, foodie cities, starting with the one that we're in right now. Well, uh, we're talking about Chicago then, Yes, of course. Yes, uh, of course. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Food & Wine magazine put together one of the top ten uh, cities uh, and uh, went uh, through obviously the United States looking at uh, those cities that made um, the list and Chicago's on that list and we have obviously a tremendous variety we have obviously tremendous amount of ethnicity and uh, we just have plain great food in fact uh, Connie Ness magazine has rated us for the last two years as uh, the top restaurant city in the country. What's interesting is that the uh, cities outside of Chicago are all in the South. New Orleans, Charleston, South Carolina, Austin, Texas, Nashville, Miami. Is it, is, is it simply a function of these southern cities have a, a variety of cultural influences in their culinary scenes? Well, uh, having been really familiar with New Orleans and spending quite a time, amount of time there, um, they themselves have obviously developed a, a strong culture between Creole and uh, red beans and rice, pole boys, beignets, uh, snowballs, which are basically ices. Um, th- th- that has been created, obviously, through a lot of uh, gentrification of the population that's there. Um, but you look at Austin, you look at Nashville, those are hot cities right now when it comes to people moving out of, um, unfortunately, our state and going to new places. So it- it- it's a mix of both. And then, obviously, Miami. Uh, has a tremendous amount of influx from people from New York. And then obviously a lot of restaurants are landing in Miami because uh, a lot of the New Yorkers have decided to to live in Florida. What's always interesting is uh, looking at the list of the uh, uh, of the restaurants, the independent restaurants in America uh, that get the most business. Uh, there are some locations in, Mi- in Miami that are usually either in the top 10 or the top five. Well, are you referring, to, for instance, to Joe's and uh, restaurants that have, uh, the high high volume restaurants in the country? You mean right, exactly. Yeah, I mean Joe's Stone Crab is uh, it's probably doing close to twenty five to thirty million or so, and and that's if you have to remember the Stone Crab season um, basically uh, ends in October and then starts again in May. Um, so technically, if you are having Stone Crab somewhere during the, the other time periods, it's frozen. So um, and and then we have obviously um, uh, Melman's outpost here as well with uh, Joe's and their steakhouse as well. So it, it's um, uh, a lot of these uh, what, what we call obviously mainstay restaurants like uh, Commander's Palace and others are, um, are are the grand dame of New Orleans. 
you know, they, they uh, are doing some incredible numbers. And then just traditionally over time, I mean, it seems like Southern food has made its way north. There are some places in Chicago that specialize in Southern food. And is this just simply, um, I say it's a trend because I noticed it, or have you noticed in the restaurant industry as well that Southern food has gone from something you only get down south to a taste that is now being imported to other regions of the country? Um, I think it's, it's a ladder. I think I agree with you. Uh, what's happening is is that uh, uh, profiles, and what I'm saying is flavor profiles, one is you have a better educated individual who travels more now, goes to New Orleans, goes to Charleston, um, goes to Austin, and, and loves the flavors. And as a result, um, many of the chefs who may be down in those regions want to have an outpost in Chicago or decide that they want to leave where they are and, and, and create something interesting here in Chicago as well. And I think it's developing craves. I think there's certain foods like stone crab and others and gumbo from, from New Orleans that are, are really um, strong indicators as to flavors that people normally don't get in, in Chicago. Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. And if you want to follow your nose and follow your stomach on your next vacation, some of the big foodie cities outside of Chicago, New Orleans, Charleston, South Carolina, Austin, Texas, Nashville, and Miami. Coming up next, history is made in the American liquor industry. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. For the first time, the market share of spirits in the U.S. tops that of beer. We welcome in uh, Carly Katz, owner of Bottles and Cans in Chicago, two locations, North Center and Edgebrook. Carly, thank you for joining us today. Yeah. What, what's that old saying, uh, liquor outsells beer, you're in the clear? Yeah, let's start that. Let's look at that one. <laughs> uh, what, what, what is driving this trend uh, for people to go to liquor as opposed to uh, wine and beer, which were always the kind of the, the stalwarts of the booze industry? Yeah, well, so keep in mind that, like, everything has trends. We kind of go through that with clothing and everything else. Alcohol is no different. Um, a big part of it, and there probably are a couple of, of reasons for this, but, you know, 10, 12 years ago, when the craft beer market was booming, those people now, we're aging. We're, we're aging. We're moving a little slower. Our bodies aren't working as well. And the same 12 beers a night conversation is not super doable for a lot of us anymore. And the cocktails, the spirits, the things like that, you can have one beverage and kind of it creates the same impact of sorts. I thought you were going to say, no, that's turned into a 12 martini night. Listen, it could also do that. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it's very difficult with the children and everything else going on. But it makes it a lot easier, um, especially now that these spirit producers are doing what we call RTDs. So ready-to-go drinks. They're making it as easy to have an old-fashioned as you can crack a beer. So you're, you're getting kind of that same, you're not stopping to like make yourself your cocktail. You're not measuring things out. It's ready to go. It, it makes it convenient and people love convenience. I mean, hands down, that's the number one reason I do most things. Is it easy? Can I make this work faster than I would something else? And it's, it's just easier for most people. But cocktails during COVID also became very popular in spirits because people were at home. We weren't going to bars. We started making our own things at home, and now not, that hasn't changed as much as people, I think, think 
it would have. Yes, people are back in the bars, but we're still now kind of more comfortable than we've ever been with just staying at home and making our own beverages. Um, It's interesting. It's kind of a fun way of of going. And then very quickly, Carly, can the liquor industry keep up with this increased demand for spirits? Because it takes a couple of months or a couple of weeks to to, to brew beer. It takes uh, several years to uh, ferment wine. And it takes about 10 or 12 years of aging for the good stuff when it comes to a, a whiskey or a scotch or a bourbon. Uh, can, can, the, can the industry keep up with that, given it takes a lot longer to, uh, to develop a, a, a spirit versus beer and wine? Uh, good question. Um, honestly, I hope so. Uh, you're right when it comes to just that timeline is always going to be part of this. It's always going to have kind of that, that harder thing to do than what than what beer has to do. And a lot of these distri- or, um, distilleries will put out like a white whiskey, which means it just hasn't gone into a barrel yet. It hasn't seen char, so there's no color. But um, tequila moves fairly fast. Vodka is super easy to make. Um, and I don't mean super easy, but it is a little bit easier. So, you know, while we wait for those other things, you know, there are still things available, but at this at the same cost, it's unlikely that they're going to be able to keep up with it. We do already see certain portfolios and books kind of already pulling back on how much they're sending into market, how much we're getting allocated for some of these like bigger deal ones. You know, the, the Sazerac portfolio, which is everything from Happy Van Winkle to like Fireball. But we're not seeing as much of it coming in because they are probably trying to hold back to see if they can, if they're going to maintain this level of sales or if they're going to watch that drop the way that, you know, craft beer boomed and now that's kind of dropped. So it's, it's, it is what it is. Um, this, this Sunday, we actually have a whiskey fest for bottles and cans. Um, but it's interesting to see those things happen because even for that, there were things that we've always had at our whiskey fest that now we're not seen. We're Carly Katz, owner of Bottles and Cans in Chicago. Thank you for joining us. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. This is Mike Krauser. A southwest side alderman says 300 migrants living in police stations will be moved to the Gage Park Fieldhouse. Hunter Biden reaches a plea agreement with federal prosecutors. Travel Tuesday strategies to get the most out of a trip when you're a woman traveling on your own. And Domino's Pizza launching a new delivery app designed to bring your food wherever you are. Business, the markets are lower today. The 
Dow is down about uh, 170 points right now. The NASDAQ is down uh, just 10, and the S&P 500 is down 12. 82 degrees right now under sunny skies, going up to 85, cooler by the lake. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour at the Chicago Park District Fieldhouse in Gage Park on the southwest side is serving a new purpose. Here's WBBM's Mike Krauser. Alderman Raymond Lopez says the plan is to temporarily put 300 migrants in the field house. This center would operate under three main pillars. It must be safe, it must be healthy, and it must be temporary. We are moving forward with this proposal and will begin housing individuals by July 1st. Lopez said the field house would take 300 single male migrants currently staying at police stations, the most difficult people to place. He said the park would remain open and accessible to the public. Residents can weigh in during a public meeting at 6 this evening at St. Clair de Montefalco Church in the 5400 block of South Washtenaw. Mike Krauser, 105.9 WBBM. President Biden's son Hunter has reached a deal with federal prosecutors in which he agrees to admit to tax and weapons violations if a judge approves of the arrangement, Hunter Biden would avoid jail time. More from CBS News White House correspondent Stephen Portnoy. Republicans immediately reacted to the news by blasting what they see as a sweetheart deal. The White House says the president and first lady love their son and, quote, support him as he continues to rebuild his life. Mr. Biden's aides have insisted he respects the independence of the Justice Department and has not been involved in its decision-making. The U.S. attorney who's overseen the Hunter Biden investigation was originally appointed by former President Trump and has stayed on through the Biden administration. Both of the charges against Hunter Biden are misdemeanors. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are in the red. We're joined by Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Michael, thank you for joining us today. We've had a nice little rally the last uh, week or so in the uh, major financial indices, and it seems like that rally has uh, stalled today. Uh, Is this a reversal or merely just catching your breath? Well, good afternoon, Rob, and thanks for having me on. You know, we've we've come a long way. S&P's up uh, over 10%, and uh, NASDAQ up 25% for the year. So we're a bit cautious at MJP Capital at this point. I mean, we're we're at 4,400 in the S&P. Our fair value is 4,300. That's not far away, but it certainly caused us to sell some of our longs and get a little bit flatter than we normally are, and we haven't been this flat since 22. Uh, it's just a valuation concern. I mean, we're at 4,400. That's going to be about 20 times what we forecast as S&P 500 earnings this year. So that's a, that's pretty lofty given that, that interest rates are on the high side. You could You could justify this valuation if we had lower rates, but the Fed's actually still tightening here. So we're just cautious. We don't think there's a big sell-off coming, but we do think that that we could trend lower in the next quarter uh, because I I just don't see a catalyst for a continued rally. Interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about uh, this, you know, sudden change of sentiment about the trajectory of the economy and that uh, maybe this recovery is built to last, and also about uh, the impact of AI on the financial markets. Uh, some people believe this might be just another late '90s style bubble. Others think uh, this could be transformative. So, what's your verdict on AI and the stock market? 
Well, again, I've said the market is a bit uh, ahead of itself. I mean, AI is, is here to stay, and, and those that can capitalize on that, and you're talking about the Microsofts, the Metas, the Googles, uh, they, they will do well, and you see that, in, especially in Meta stock. I mean, uh, there's a stock that, that's, that's soaring at, at uh, highs it hasn't seen in a couple years, and at 283, as I'm looking at the screen right here, those stocks are going to do very well. Um, but again, I'm cautious on the overall valuation of the market. Uh, we have been on your show before uh, suggesting Meta as a long, and that's one of our biggest longs we have right now. So AI is definitely in our portfolio, but you know you have to get the right you know, just because a company says they're doing AI doesn't mean they're really going to benefit from what's what's happening. You have to make sure that who's behind the wheel, who's driving the bus, and and you know, my money's on Mark Zuckerberg to to know what what he's doing, as opposed to some of these guys that that are just coming out and, and saying AI in their quarterly reports, and you wonder, okay, is that really anything that that has any value value to the company? So you have to be careful when when you hear it because AI is becoming that new buzzword that we have every five or ten years. Uh, from online retailers back in the you know late late 1900 uh, 19, or uh, right by 2000 to right now we, we've got AI so just be careful when you're when you're hearing AI that that you're really dealing with a company that knows what they're doing and are not just putting it in their reports and again valuations right now in the S and P in, in our opinion are a bit stretched and I would just caution investors to be to be very cautious in their in their longs at this point. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, tips for women taking a solo trip. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday, and this afternoon the focus is on women looking to go solo on their next trip. Welcome in Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors, based in Scottsdale. Angie, thank you for joining us today. And, you know, Lots of people take trips by themselves. Uh, you have the freedom to basically go anywhere you want, do whatever you want, to see what you want to see. But if you're a woman traveling alone, uh, you also have to change the way in which you plan your trip, starting with your arrival time. Yes. I mean, I think anyone traveling alone needs to have some level of caution just because you sometimes are an easy target when you're traveling as a as a solo traveler and that also includes you know when we talk about your arrival time what is the you know, ideal maybe safest time to arrive if you're traveling by yourself i think it's important to try to look for morning flights luckily if you're traveling overseas oftentimes it's a red eye and you do arrive early the reason being is twofold because if you start looking at flights where you're getting in into the evening and that flight's delayed it could end up being an evening flight and you're getting into that destination maybe even past midnight. And sometimes you have complexities with hotels treating you as a no-show. And that, you know, ends up being a little risky when you can't confirm your hotel reservation um, simply because you're en route to your destination. So I do highly recommend those morning flights when traveling alone or, you know, even with children, as an example. You know, there is peace of mind in those earlier flights. And then speaking of hotels, I mean, outside of confirming the reservation, also uh, calling the hotel and telling them to expect you at a certain time. 
Yes, letting people know where you are. And there's so many modes of communication that exist today that make that a lot easier. I oftentimes, I do a lot of travel and sometimes I'm traveling alone for a couple of days, meeting up with other people. And I actually put an air tag in my purse or backpack so that my family knows where I am and I share that information. So that gives me peace of mind. And I think it is more important to have that direct connection with the concierge at your hotel hey, I'm going to go out this evening and I'm actually going to be out a little later. I'll be in by 10 o'clock. They're very observant of their travelers who are so low to kind of keep an extra watch. And of course, this is good advice uh, regardless of uh, how many people are in your party, but just uh, inspecting the hotel locks, doors and windows once you get to your room. Yes, there's actually some secrets to how you can protect yourself in your room, such as using a door stopper in a u- unique fashion. I learned that trick from another solo traveler. And I think people who are venturing out into this concept, maybe they're a recent widow, maybe they're, you know, 40, 50, who knows, and they're divorced and they have all this energy and they want to travel and they're an empty nester. Like, I want these women to know not to be afraid to. Um, think about solo traveling. And for example, we brought on a team member a year ago. Her name is Julie Rose, and she's a nomad. So she lives um, as a solo traveler. And she actually provides coaching to help women understand what is solo travel and how do you um, kind of overcome the myths? Because there's a lot of myths because you actually meet people. And sometimes you meet more people Um, when you're more approachable and sometimes when you're alone, you become more approachable, whether that's meeting locals that are serving you at a restaurant or coffee shop, or you kind of join a tour. I I know sometimes when I'm solo, I've been at museums and people said, you know, why don't you join our guided tour? You kind of get an invitation to um, some nice experiences when you're a solo travel. So take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, you can make uh, friends that could uh, very well be lifelong friends uh, just developed uh, on these trips. The last the last suggestion, this one seems kind of counterintuitive, and that is uh, normally before you leave, you load up on local currency so you don't have to use the ATM and incur foreign transaction fees, but maybe that's not the smart move. A lot of credit card companies have great programs that allow you to take advantage of fluctuations in the currency. For example, you know, always check with your credit card company, you know, call in advance and just get an understanding. But a lot of times it's, let's say you have a a volatile exchange rate and you're traveling to Europe and you're looking at, you know, the Euro exchange rate. Um, Most credit card companies, or there's a, a wide variety of credit card companies that will actually give you the best exchange rate for your transaction for a 30-day period. So it's best to transact your credit card charges when you're traveling in the local currency. Check with your credit card, but I know my credit cards offer that incentive. So for me, I try to travel with as little cash as possible, with the exception of it is important to know how much cash you're going to need for tipping purposes and things like that. I oftentimes, you know, research um, the destination and know where best to get ATMs. A lot of times your guides will let you know. And, of course, you can plan ahead and many banks in the valley um, where I live, as well as in places like Chicago, will um, provide you with that currency in advance. Sometimes you have to order it. Sometimes they have it on hand. It's a popular destination like Europe where euros are easier to find in the U.S. at your bank. 
Angie Rice, co-founder Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Domino's Pizza is launching what it calls Anywhere Delivery through its app. Let's discuss the move with Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach based in Chicago. Izzy, thank you for joining us today. And how this works is that uh, you no longer need to leave an address when you order a pizza. Well, it is incredible, and it's the kind of thing I think a lot of people would be saying right now, well, what do I need that for? But, you know, if you're uh, at the beach on, uh, you know, North Avenue Beach and you want a pizza, you know, you go ahead, you know, put it in, and boom, you know, that pizza's going to be where you are rather than having to be with you doing a pickup or having them delivered to a house. So to me, I look at it a little bit like when I got a touchscreen computer. I said, what do I need that for? And now I spend all my time touching my screen. So I think this is a going to be substantial for Domino's. Is this a, a, technology, a technological innovation that was pushed forward by the pandemic when everybody developed a contact-free uh, method of ordering and paying? Uh, absolutely. I mean, all of these things fall into that category, uh, you know, when it comes to technology. But the one thing that Domino's is doing is really stepping out way ahead of everybody else. So they'll test market it uh, and get it out there. I mean, I think that they're even test marketing robot cars in uh, in Houston. So it's going to be a very big deal once they get it uh, working the way that they want. Obviously, uh, the, the in-person dining is back. People want to go to restaurants and have these experiences. But uh, just the level of sophistication in delivery, uh, we're, we're light years ahead of uh, your pizza. Or your, your pizza's there in 30 minutes or it's free. Right, right. Yeah, so we are way beyond that. And, uh, you know, that'll be a, a long-gone memory. And what it will be the... Uh, the new memory is when, you know, they started this uh, pinpoint, what they're calling essentially pinpoint delivery. Wherever you are, it's going to pinpoint you, and that's where your pizza will come. I think that's more impressive than a 30-minute delivery time. Now, ha- has this technology, uh, I mean, I guess we'll find out more in the test markets, but uh, let's talk about our hypothetical North Avenue Beach uh, pizza delivery. Um, sometimes the GPS system on my phone uh, says I'm at my neighbor's house, and I'm not. So uh, will there be a situation where uh, some guy in a, in a red polo shirt is trying to deliver, uh, traipsing through the sand, trying to deliver uh, pizza on one end of the beach, and you're like a mile away? Yeah, that certainly is possible, and I think they're going to have those pains here and there. But the idea of the pinpoint is I think that map comes out, you you know, hit it, boom, it knows exactly where you are. But, um, you know, that situation, and, of course, people, even if it only happens, you know, if it happens 5% of the time, I mean, people will be all over that on social media. But the impressive part is 95% of the time or so, they'll, they'll get it right until they really have this down and get it right 100% of the time. Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.